Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining me as a special co-host for today's show is Forrester's head of research, Carrie Johnson. Welcome back, Carrie. Thank you, Victor. And also joining us on the phone today is Chase Cunningham, principal analyst at Forrester, to discuss some of the emerging security risks in our startup community. And so we'll start there, but welcome back, Chase. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Chase, we're at a point in time where privacy is a human right. Sort of the protection of of someone's data is a big deal. In fact, firms are doing GDPR checks on each other to make sure the ecosystems are healthy. You have cyber threats abounding, and you have an economy that's lighting up the startup community. What have you found about those collisions that are taking place? Well, it's really security practitioner and as somebody that's spent my life savings and years of my life actually building an app for privacy, I can say that it's pretty infuriating just to see the way that, uh, you know, organizations and startups and companies essentially are just, you know, living willy-nilly around uh, the realities of protecting information. And we have a, a real problem, too, with the fact that the speed with which we develop things and the ease of development now has basically obliterated the, the practices you should have around secure development life cycles and, and building applications so that you can actually take care of information. I mean, you could you could wake up tomorrow morning with a really great idea, and three days later you could have an app that you were testing with users and have done it with nothing other than just an idea and some time online. Is it excessively naive and hopeful to think that GDPR is going to help this because I feel like we're at a point where some companies are starting to get strung up a little bit over this since other companies are requiring that they are GDPR compliant. But that could be our, like I said, sort of naive and hopeful view. I'm a fan of, of GDPR just from the context of I, I get what it's trying to do and I think that it's a step in the right direction. Um, I don't really technically, being the PhD geek that I am, see how – Technology is going to enable GDPR at speed and at scale. I think, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great compliance initiative. But um, the, the reality of around it is, is, like, if you and I can say this from personal experience, creating an app that actually helps families and kids be secure online. If you can put somebody in an app that says, "I will make sure that your privacy is enabled and that your data is secure," and it takes them one extra step, or you put someone in an app that says, "Like, look." Just give up your privacy and your data security, and you can get access to this widget faster. Every single time, they'll just pump onto the one that's easier because of the nature of how humans are. No one really will fight uh, for their privacy and for their data security if there's an easier way to do it and not have to worry about it. Yeah, so it goes to a lot of our conversations. We say things like security by design and privacy by design, and it sort of feels like, yes, you should eat your vegetables. It's an unnatural, artificial act. And it, even even this is not a comment about the startups, but just broadly, it still feels like it's perceived as a too big a hurdle, too much in the way, and it's sort of counter to the concepts of speed and managing risk kind of thing. I think that's your point. Well, and I mean, I think about the same way about seatbelts, right? How many people a year die in car wrecks because they're too lazy to buckle a seatbelt when that one three-second thing would have saved them from certain death. You know, if, if it's a matter of, gosh, i got to stretch my armor here and pull the seatbelt over, they don't even bother to do it, and they wind up in the morgue. So when you're talking about something as, 
ethereal as privacy and data security online, if people won't buckle seatbelts because it's too hard, do you think they're actually going to try and do anything technically to protect their privacy, which doesn't tangibly exist to them? Absolutely not. So counterpoint, you've seen enough people get sort of outraged over Facebook treating their data and, and privacy lightly. Do you think that is sort of a knee-jerk reaction and ultimately, listen, laziness and convenience will take over? Is that essentially what I think you're saying, given that you're doing a tie-in to the much more important issue of mortality through seatbelts? Well, I mean, that's that's my my humble opinion. I mean, if you go like when, when Facebook came out as, you know, selling to Cambridge Analytica and it was this big deal, right, and then their, their stock took a dump and then Zuckerberg went to D.C. and testified in Congress you could see in real time that people were logging back into Facebook and their stock value was going up. So, yeah, they took it in the short tier with this with this piece, but it'll settle out over the over the near future that it's going to be one of those like ouchie put a bandaid on it things. It's not going to be um, as bad as as it seems today. If I'm a startup and let's say I'm a startup in a space that's not strictly security, I'm just a startup in a space that requires security. I'm in the data market, whatever it might be. What are what is happening as you speak to them as they as they either don't think about security or they think about it and see it as an impediment to getting your first customers or impediment to seizing on the dynamic of hyper adoption? Well, and that's that's the problem from when I was at that startup event and I was sitting as one of the panel judges of that's the question I kept asking was what are you doing about security? And every single one of them came up there didn't have a good answer. And it was kind of one of those things, well, you know, you guys have obviously put a lot of time and cycles into how you're going to make revenue off of this app that will tell you, you know, wherever dog do is on your daily jog, but you haven't thought about, you know, the reality of like, you, you know, where I am using your application and someone could get in there and figure out, you know, things about me. So what are you doing for security purposes? It's just, it's one of those pieces where when, when somebody's got an idea and they've got some light, some cycles going into that app and then they see a line to revenue or whatever, security is, it's a pain in the butt. And it's just, I would rather not deal with that right now. I'll get to that. When, when someone throws a, a subpoena or a lawsuit against me, then I'll deal with security. Yeah. And that last point, it, it is interesting that there was an expectation, probably an expectation that I had that there would be an active litigation right now with GDPR that there would be some front page item driven by GDPR that was intended to scare everybody else into compliance. Because I thought it would just, whether it's for money or for show, something that would have happened by now. The fact it didn't, it's got to kind of put a artificial calm on the market. It was like everybody was waiting for this neutron bomb to go off and instead we got a firecracker. Yeah. I do think you're seeing some of that happen behind the scenes, which may not continue if we don't see a bomb go off where firms won't partner with others or buy their technology if they're not GDPR compliant, which is not something you would see in the headlines. It's something that in reality is happening for our clients. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. But I, I May 25th is long gone. And from an EU perspective, I'm, if I'm thinking of strategy, I would have done something for show. It's an easy hit. On the 26th. Just to, just to make it clear that this is real. Right. One of the podcasts we had, Chase, was with Stephanie Bloris on the impact of climate change. And, and what was the discussion was that even though this is early days, already investors meeting, in theory, venture capitalists, PE firms, and others 
are asking firms about their contingencies for global warming, contingencies against severe weather, severe productivity hits, effect to their infrastructure kind of thing. So you would, you would think that if I'm a startup and I'm trying to get, whether that's angel funding, B round, whatever round I'm in, that investors would also think of this because any hit to the startup is a hit to their pocket at some point in time. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. That does come across when you talk with certain uh, sort of circles of investors. Like if I've done, I've done a few of these, and if I've been in D.C. where security is something all the time that people talk about because the government is here, it comes up. If I've been in, uh, in Palo Alto or, or San Francisco, it comes up because there's lots of security things out there too. But I mean, if you go to these other areas of the country where they don't typically eat, sleep, and breathe uh, security in any way, shape, or form, like the Midwest, which has got a sort of growing area of venture capital and whatnot, and then you go to the South, um, where it's all just production and sort of uh, old oil money, um, they, they're like, well, gosh, I never even thought of that. And it's like, well, this could be bad for you, too, because you're the one gambling. So this is not just hygiene. I mean, your argument is not saying, hey, they should, but they're not. Your argument is that the fact that they're not has implications. What are some of the implications if I, a startup, I get into an ecosystem and I'm not ready for prime time as it relates to security? Well, so this is where that sort of reference to the self-licking ice cream cone comes in because it's, it's literally just continuing to do the same thing. What was Einstein's definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. I mean, that's what we're talking about here where you have infrastructures and architectures and networks and whatever that are out there that are trying to do security at speed and at scale, but then you have smaller companies that come out of nowhere with apps and blah, blah, blah and whatever and they're the ones that plug into those bigger enterprises and that cause the compromises and the security issues and the privacy and the data and the whatever. So, and then you have investors that are playing into that and feeding the beast with the money. So it just continues to be with, you know, quotes around it, the self-licking ice cream cone of misery because it's not going to stop anytime soon until we either, A, change the way that we live with this sort of thing or we change the way that we think about security as not being... Uh, detrimental to revenue as being beneficial to the customer, which ultimately makes our companies better, which makes more revenue on the far end. It's playing the, the long game instead of going out there and just throwing darts at the wall. So I'm going to do a, a, a public service announcement for our audience. A self-licking ice cream cone is a thing, which I didn't know. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a perfectly fine thing. Yeah, it's not, an, it's not a, it's, a salacious thing. Yeah. yeah. So what is a self-licking ice cream cone chase? For our audience, well, so uh, you know, when I was in the military, we had colonels and generals that would always talk about the self-licking ice cream cone, and it was basically you're continuing to do the same dumb thing that you were doing before, and you can picture in your head this, you know, ice cream cone just licking along and nothing ever changing and nothing ever cha nothing ever getting better, and it just it just continues to propagate the same level of ineffectiveness no matter what. It's hard not to draw a conclusion that this should and will stagnate innovation. Is that fair? As somebody that really loves innovative stuff, I, I hate that it should, but it dang well should. I mean, it, it, it needs to because the, the speed of innovation is just continuing, like I say, to propagate this whole scenario. So until, until something happens that is punitive enough and damaging enough that it causes a halt in it, nothing will change. But I, I had thought... An argument was that 
baking security in is not that high a hurdle. It's just that they don't want to do it. I thought that the idea would be that they could do both. They could create speed on the innovative side and bake security in, and it's easier to do it at the front end. It's much harder to do it as a retrofit. Right, and I think what Chase is saying is that it's not hard, but they're not going to do it. Exactly. It's not hard, but it's one of those things where if I'm looking at my budget for my little startup and I have a line item for uh, security or I have a line item for marketing and I can just look at security and be like, well, hell, I, I could do, I could dial that back and then I could put more money into marketing. The marketing is going to get more money because it's just one of those things where security is still seen as being like this slowdown of capability and speed and everything else when, like you're saying, if you put it in there right and you follow the right practices and processes and whatever else, it doesn't have to be that way, but it's, it's a matter of getting people to understand that. Yeah, and I was going to say something to the effect of, if I did bake security in, I could effectively market it and differentiate that point and then realize one of the attributes of a startup is marketing kind of works in the universe of quasi-fiction where the overhang that they create is necessary for them to raise money and pick up customers. And so there's a little bit of say what you need to move it along kind of thing. Startups that, I, that I've been working with around the security space that have dove in on the strategy, a la Zero Trust, they've done really, really well because the buyers are seeing, well, you're aligned with an industry accepted strategy, so that makes sense to me and that's what we're doing. Like, let's go on that. Any startup anywhere could actually align with some strategy security-wise, and tout that as this is what we do for taking care of our users and, you know, making people feel safer is something that people buy things for. Is there is there kind of a playbook here, which, I mean, using your zero trust example, where you say you're, you're post-angel funding, you're just getting some legs underneath you, you haven't built your platform, but it's coming along, and I think you should do this as step one, then the platform matures, it becomes the thing. And I think you should do that now in stage two. Is there a kind of a playbook for how you'd want folks to do this that isn't a a, a hurdle? Yeah. I mean, if, if it was me and, and I wasn't as, as poor and destitute as I am, I would ask the question if I was investing, like the first thing I would say, just like I do on those panels is what is your security strategy? And if they can't answer that in a couple of sentences, they're either full of it or they don't have a plan and they need to back up and dial in on that. If they say to us, say, we are going to be X compliant, okay, fine, you're a startup, I can live with that, you thought about it. Or we believe that we are you know, diving in on zero trust, great. Like those are strategies that make sense and they're not that complicated. Let's do that and that at least lets me know you understand the problem. If it's one of those things where you see the deer in the headlights and sort of, you know, them converting oxygen to CO2 for a minute, that ain't going to work. Our clients are evaluating these startups as part of their ecosystem. What do they need to know to feel assured that these startups are taking security seriously? How should they ask the questions? And what should they hear? So I think it's, it's two sort of simple things. Number one should be um, they, the, those companies should ask themselves, what is our security strategy and do we understand where we need those other ones to align to? Uh, and then the second piece should be, if we're going to decide that we want to do business with these folks or acquire them or invest in them or whatever, have we actually gone through an, a technical evaluation of the security status 
of the entirety of that entity. So not just like, yeah, they're compliant or whatever else. Like, have they run through the, the, the everything that you need to know that when you bring them in, they're not going to cause infections and breaches and failure and no, 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 no. I can't just be, oh, yeah, we need that. Let's buy it. I mean, it strikes me that one of the basic things happening for a startup is a desire to be acquired. And the acquirer sort of has a vested interest in asking the question, because if not, they're going to acquire the liability along the way. Are you seeing that take place in the acquisition process that part of the data room or part of the due diligence is this this check on security? It certainly should be part of that. And I, I, I've seen it a little bit more, but it needs to happen every time, all the time, because those entities that are doing the acquisitions and the buys and whatever else, a lot of times they're buying companies that were created solely so that they can be acquired and they're not really worried about whether or not they're going to be the ones liable for the breach or the data fail or the hack or whatever. Um, so if, if they're not taking the time to do that, they're the ones left holding the bag when, you know, subpoenas start flying and USA Today starts calling and whatnot. Um, it's not it's not worth it to be the one sitting there going, oh, crap, we didn't think about that. So you, you used words that, again, seem to run counter to innovation, a technical evaluation and Teams just want to move fast. You know, you're a CIO. Someone comes to you and said, I got this thing I want to use. My team wants to use it. We need to go. Oh, we need to do a technical evaluation. My sense is that will not happen in many cases. Then, I mean, it's one of those deals Then you are literally accepting the entirety of the risk that's associated with that entity. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, if I'm sitting here in my house and I see somebody walking down the road that's got something really interesting that I want, great. I'd like to talk to them and bring them in. However, um, before I let them in my house, I should at least, you know, give them a thorough look through to make sure that they're not going to, you know, come in and murder my entire family. On a lighter note, and hoping all is well and you are well and your family is well, security is a very complex term. There's a lot of piece parts to security. What are you, are you referring to something specific or is it just security? Everything has to be considered. Well, I think it has to be considered holistically. Like you've got to be able to look at the the organization. You've got to be able to look at their assets. You've got to be able to look at their strategy. You've got to be able to look at their uh, what they've built. And you've got to know comprehensively that, that they at least have done the things that they should to be securer than other organizations that are, you know, going to be just absolutely ripped apart. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it has to be some giant, you know, multi-year process of evaluation and on and But, I mean, it should be one of those things where the questions get asked, things get looked at, and you take the time to evaluate it, um, uh, you know, across that spectrum before you start bringing them on. Is it possible to do zero trust or something like that on the cheap where you have, you're, you've built that a limited platform anyway, so you have few assets to distrust? So is it possible to sort of scale out zero trust in context of scaling out your platform or whatever whatever somebody is building? Yeah, and I mean, that's, so we did a blog on that about doing zero trust on a beer budget where we basically put uh, some pretty, really critical components of zero trust in for a startup at, at less than 50 grand. Uh, and I mean, it's one of those deals where that's why we developed the ZTX framework to say, if you're an organization, be you... Uh, a JP Morgan or be you, you know, Uncle Rick's auto parts, 
you can look at this framework and start picking things and journeying towards zero trust so that you can get there at the end goal rather than, you know, a lot of organizations in the past had looked at zero trust and said, you know, oh, God, this is some giant, you know, uh, multi-year initiative. No, no, no. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a scenario where there was going to be headline fodder from GDPR, and we haven't seen that play out yet. But there's a recommendation for investors to ask the right questions so they don't get stuck with an asset that blows up on them. There's advice to our clients, those that are creating or participating in ecosystems, whether they're a direct or indirect partner, to do the checks and to ask the questions and understand it. Your advice, Chase, is actually to the entity themselves, which is ultimately there's a little delay, a little next steps, but they can do it on a beer budget. And the dividends are you don't have to live with the risk. And two is ultimately you can answer those questions that will increasingly be asked and they'll be asked more if there's headline fodder, going back to the first point. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if you uh, if you're going to acquire something or bring it in or use it or whatever, you can ask them, what is your strategy? And they can clearly and with, you know, direct um, references tell you what it is. Then that's step number one. Step number two is to actually ask them, okay, I get where your strategy is. I understand what you're doing. Show me the things that you've done to enable that strategy. And as long as those couple of things have happened, that small blip in the timeline is worth it in the long run to not be the people that are the headlines on GDPR fails or or the Cover USA Today or whatever, um, because it's, it's worth it to take that extra couple of steps to make sure that you're... Um, you know, getting into something that you want to be involved in. Buckle your seatbelt, in other words. Exactly. Like, it, it is, it, you know, you're, you may be jumping out of an airplane. It's worth it to do one more safety check to make sure that your chute is actually tied on. Chase, dark but never dull. Thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you, Chase. If you like what you heard today, join Chase and other industry analysts and thought leaders at one of our upcoming privacy and security forums in Washington, D.C. or London. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit forr.com slash 2018 events. That's forr.com slash 2018 events. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.